So I won't uh, comment on the video. It speaks for itself. Um, uh, there was a, a bunch of stuff I saw in there that I didn't get a chance to see that night, so it was really cool to watch it. Um, this last week, um, one of the heroes of the faith died, went to be with the Lord, right? 99 years old, Billy Graham died. Um, I was just looking at some of the statistics in his ministry. He preached the gospel to 217 million people in his lifetime. 185 countries he shared the gospel. It's just mind-boggling to me. He led hundreds of thousands of people to make personal decisions for Jesus Christ and to follow him as their Lord and Savior. A couple of quotes of Billy Graham. He, he said this, My home is in heaven. I'm just passing through. Um, one other quote he had was, God has given us two hands, one to receive and one to give. I like both those quotes. There's a quote that, uh, that was attributed to Billy Graham, and maybe you, you've heard it. Uh, and it goes like this. Someday you will hear or you will read that Billy Graham is dead. Make no mistake, Billy Graham is more alive today than he has ever been. Um, and uh, that quote is a beautiful quote, but it wasn't Billy Graham who did that quote. <laughs> it was actually D.L. Moody, who was the uh, very similar in the way that he was uh, a gospel preacher and did a lot of tent meetings at the turn of the century. And uh, he was the one who originated that quote, but... Uh, I'll tell you what, I think Billy Graham would say today, amen, amen. Because when the roll call was made in heaven, Billy Graham, when his name was called, he said, present. And so good for him, good for us, we benefited from his ministry. The question I always ask when somebody like Billy Graham dies or goes to heaven and be with the Lord is who's going to take his place? Who is going to step up and be the next person to, um, to accomplish the work that God's called us to do? So, anyway, pray about that. Uh, special, special time to remember uh, uh, somebody who is faithful to the end. Um, so, this weekend, what I want to talk about is, we've been kind of talking about the parables that Jesus taught. And every one of them has a little bit of a punch to them, a little bit of a twist, a little bit of a surprise. And we're looking at those, and this, this day is no different. Um, but I want to begin by talking about something, because I think every one of Jesus' parables speaks to something within us. And I think every one of us in this room, if we were honest, and if we would drop our guard, and if we would just um, be honest with each other for a few minutes, we would share that there are things that we need in our lives. And one of the things we need in our lives is approval. We need to be feel like people approve of us. Maybe it's our, our husband or our wife, our spouse. Maybe it's family members, our parents. Um, maybe it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, our friends, our teachers, our instructors, our coaches, our employers. And sometimes we do crazy things to get their approval. We want to hear those words, good job, or great work, or you're valuable, or your life matters. 
We want somebody to say that about us, or at least we want to believe that somebody feels that way about us, right? And it's such a strong need in our lives that we will do unhealthy things to get it, to maintain it, and not to lose it. A few things we'll do is we'll lie about ourselves and we'll put our lives in the best possible light because we're afraid that (coughs) the people closest to us, if they really know who we were, they would reject us and we just can't live with that. So we, we mask ourselves. And, you know, I was thinking about that. I was meeting with a couple this morning. I was reading Genesis uh, chapter 2 and it talks about how the man will leave his family and they will be joined together. And it says, this is, it's kind of an odd phrase. It says, and they were both naked. And, and it means more than they were naked. It means that there were no walls. There was no lying. There was no posturing and after genesis 3 where they sin they begin to hide they hide from god they hide from one another and we do that because we don't want to lose acceptance we'll appease um unhealthy and abusive relationships we'll stay in those relationships um just so because we're getting some semblance of approval or we'll we'll put others down so that we look and feel better about ourselves we'll We'll do Botox, uh, we'll do liposuction, uh, we'll do things for ourselves so that, we, so that we look good and people will accept us. And, you know, I got on the scale today and the scale read, one person at a time, please. <laughs> and, but we do that, we say, well, maybe if I was thinner, or maybe if I was this, or maybe if I was that, or... And we do that because we say, I need this approval thing. Um, we think that in, in many ways it does. Approval brings happiness and it f- f- brings fulfillment and purpose in our lives. But the deep-seated need of approval within our, our souls is the approval of God. And to know and to be known by our creator, by our ruler and the sustainer of the universe... To know that he accepts and approves of me is the most important thing that we can carry in our souls. To know that we are his son or daughter. To know that he loves us. To know that he accepts us and approves of us. I think that's what we all desperately need. But unfortunately, we look in human beings for that. And when we don't get it from human beings, we say, well, I must be a th- have the wrong wife or husband or kids or whatever. And... Y- when we look to God, we'll find it. Because we're all hungry for that approval and acceptance. <coughs> what I'm saying is we, we, we all need somebody outside of us to approve of us. And I think it's a, it's a universal problem that we all face. And the parable that we're going to look at this weekend really deals head-on with that whole thing. How do we find approval? And, and, and most importantly, how do we find approval with the most important person in the universe? That's kind of what our parable is about. So let's look at that. Because he takes a couple of tracks in the parable that we look at. One is we're going to try to make ourselves approval, you know, you know, acceptable. Or the other one is that we'll take and allow him to make us acceptable. And so if you'd like to, I'd love you to follow along with me. We're in Luke 18, Luke chapter 18. And if you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And if you turn to page 851, you can follow along with me. Page 851, Luke 18, and I'll start reading at verse 19. Excuse me, I'm going to start reading at verse 9. 
It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Now, you need to stop there because what Jesus is doing here is he's giving you the context of everything that's going to follow. The parable that Jesus is going to tell us and we're going to go through and we're going to study is all about this, that people were looking down on others. And it happened then and it happens today. And Jesus is going to speak to us. And here's what he says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified (coughs) before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there's two ways to approach God in this parable. The first one is the religious way. And that's the way the the Pharisee takes. He approaches God from an outside-in manner. He prayed about himself. He looked down on others, and he was completely focused on keeping the rules. Um, Like, he says, I don't rob people, I don't cheat, I don't... I don't sleep around, and I fast twice a week, and I tie the tenth of my, uh, of my uh, money. What's interesting about it, his prayer was about himself. <laughs> he's talking to God, but he's talking about himself, which is interesting, because that's not what prayer really is, in a sense that you brag about how great you are to God. I don't think that's what prayer was intended to be. But not only does he pray to himself, or about himself before God, he prays by himself. You know, if you read that passage carefully, it says that he stood away from the rest. He stood away from the rest. In other words, he separated himself from the riffraff. He, he, he wanted everyone else to be uh, over there, somewhere over there. Um, he, did, he did this to distinguish himself with the rest of the crowd. Insert sinners here, because... He was saying, by his posture, by his position, I'm not like them. And in fact, he does that when his prayer. He says, I'm glad I'm not like him. And he points over to the tax collector. He clearly believes that he's better than those around him. And that's what religion does. Religion causes us to compare ourselves to others. That's what religion is. It's comparing how am I doing compared to everyone else, right? Um, Sin for many is something that's that's out there, right? Something to avoid, something that you that you can catch, like the cold, uh, a cold or the flu. Sin is something that if you get too close to sinners, you'll catch it. Um, but it's out there. You 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 don't, you if you avoid sinners, then you can avoid sin. And if you follow the rules, you win. And you stay away from people in places where they don't follow the rules. Many times the rules are my rules, not necessarily God rules. We'll talk more about that. But the point I want you to see is that religion, inside out, is all about keeping or not keeping the rules. That's what, that's what this man is doing. And that's what many people in this community and across America are doing. They're practicing religion. 
They're following the rules. Maybe they've been told these rules since they were babies. And they grew up in a tradition where they said, these are the rules, and you follow the rules. But we Americans sometimes say, well, you may say that's a rule, but I'm not going to follow it. The point is, religion also, it, it makes up rules. And it makes up rules of morality. Notice what the man says. He says a couple of interesting things. He says, I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. Well, those are clearly laid out in the Scripture. You can find those in the Old Testament. Okay? But we're not told to fast, and we're not told how much to tithe. Um, So he's making up his own standard about how you must do certain things. So he's not, he's saying, well, I don't do this, and I do do this. And, And the people that don't follow the rules on tithing and fasting like I do fall short of the standard that I have made. God never set a standard up. He never said, you you need to fast this much time or this often. He never gave a rule for how much. He never said, you need to give this much. Um, there were requirements in the Old Testament, but this man is making it a law. Religion also makes up its own morality. Um, he's he's uh, making up standards of righteousness. And we do that today. Let me give you a couple of quick examples of how we do that today. This is how we judge other people. And sometimes how we judge other Christians. What kind of music is the most honoring to God? Do you know that music is the most divisive thing within the church today? Uh, it's not doctrine. It's, it's music. Uh, like, for instance, some people say, well, we ought to have a pipe organ. Or organ music is, is the one, the music that, that, that uh, God uses the most. Heaven help if you use an electric guitar. That's not honoring to God. We, we make that standard, right? What standard of music? Should our worship be formal or informal? Some churches, um, not Hope Church, but some, and it's nothing right or wrong, it's just different. Some churches will do responsive readings, and they, they do uh, where you recite back and forth. And I grew up in a tradition like that, but we don't do that here. We do it from time to time, but we don't do it on a regular basis. Does that mean that we're wrong and they're right, or we're right and they're wrong? No. But there's judgments that are made, and uh, we, we do that. Should our worship be charismatic or stoic? Some people believe that unless you're, you're, you're waving your hands and jumping up and down, you're not worshiping God. Um, some people uh, worship, though, more stoic, and they look at people who are doing that, and they say, well, that's wrong. I think that's just going overboard. And, and I just want to say, <laughs> sometimes people going like this are doing too much of this, And sometimes the people doing this need to do a little more, (laughs) right? But the point is, we're we're judgmental of each other based upon, you know, it's interesting. We've taken teams over to Haiti, and sometimes uh, people come back and say, we should worship like that. And I go, well, we're not Haitian. (laughs) That's the way the Haitian people worship. It's great. It's not us. Um, Here's the problem. Outside in worship, um, we basically, when you're caught up in religion or outside in, and you follow the rules, sometimes they're in Scripture, sometimes you make them up, and you put the, you put the fence further than Scripture goes. <coughs> and when people don't follow those rules, or you, you, when you follow them perfectly, you do it because you want to get to a place, because you have this belief, and I, I had this belief through 18 years of my life, that I follow the rules. Now, I didn't did it because my mom told me, you're going to follow the rules in religion. You're going to go to church and do all this stuff. It wasn't that I was following them, but I was, but it was because I had to. 
But ultimately, I came to a place where I realized that what I was doing was I was just saying to God, look at I've done this for you. Now you owe me. You owe me. I'm following your rules. See, you owe me. And you better give me a good life. And that things better not go bad for me. Because if they do, well, I don't know what I'll do. You're God, but I'm not. But I'll be mad at you. And I may even walk away. Um, but it's really, sometimes religion, all it is is a power play with God. You're basically just saying, I follow the rules, God. You owe me. And, and really, when I was asked those questions, well, if you were to die today, would you go to be with God in heaven? I'd said, well, I hope so. Well, why? And I, I'd list all the rules that I followed. And what was I doing there? I was saying, God, you owe me heaven. I lived a good life. And that's what religion leads to. Here's the problem. You look at this man, and he's a very good man. I mean, on the surface, he is a good man. Um, look at what he's doing. He's done more than I've ever done. Um, he's, he's done far more than I've ever done in my life. So you want to talk about a good moral man? He was absolutely a good moral man. But the problem is, in his prayer, the essence of his prayer is he's thanking himself as a prayer to God. He's doing self-worship. His prayer is really a self-centered adoration of his ego. It's really what it comes down to. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed to God about how good you are and, and why, why haven't you blessed me and why haven't you helped me? Uh, look at what I'm doing for you. You know, it's not fair. Look at how they're doing and they don't love you at all, but I do. Have you ever done that? Because really what that comes down to is you're, you're basically trying to say, God, I, I, I got a power play going on here. I got, I got cash in the bank and you're giving, you're giving them stuff that you're not giving to me. And, and that's why many people who, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that think they've walked away from Jesus today. They haven't walked away from Jesus. They walked away from religion. They walked away from religion. They, they've realized that religion doesn't work. And they think, oh, I tried that Christianity thing. I, 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 can't, I couldn't follow the rules. I was never going to be good enough. And I'm, and I'm thinking, well, you're on the good track now. <laughs> you weren't before, but you are now. But they think, a lot of people think they've walked away from Jesus, but they haven't walked away from Jesus. They walked away from religion. Well, how was the man different? Well, he didn't take, he didn't take the religious approach. He took the repentant approach. He took the repentant approach. So the tax collector is very interesting. He stands far off. He, he, he has his head down. He, he's, he knows he's unworthy in his approach. His face is looking down, never looking up. And his prayer is vastly different from the Pharisee. He beats his chest and he cries out to God. And his prayer is very simple, this. This is what his prayer is. Notice, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, I want to tell you something. There's something that you're missing in your English translation. And I'm not trying to do, tell you that. But what we do is, in Greek, it has a, an article. It has a definite article and an indefinite article. So when the article's there, it's, you know, the definite article is the. And, and, and so literally, this is how this tr would be translated. But we smooth it over for English. So this is literally how it would be translated. The God have mercy on me, the sinner. That's literally what it says. So we say, God have mercy on me, a sinner, which is a good English translation. Which, by the way, let me just throw a thing in here. 
Anybody that tells you that they want to have a literal translation of the Bible is out of their minds. You cannot do it. Because a literal translation of this verse is, The God have mercy on me, the sinner. That's a literal translation. If you want a literal translation, that's a literal. So a translation is always taking the information and trying to make it fit the English and do that. It does that all the time. But here's the point I want you to see. This man is making a statement. Because generally, you wouldn't have the definite article before sinner here. You would say it would be just left a sinner. In other words, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And you wouldn't have the definite article. But that does in the Greek. And why is that so important? Because this man is saying this. God have mercy on me. I'm the sinner. It's all on me. I, the only thing I'm bringing to the temple today is me, the sinner. I'm not blaming, blaming anyone else. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm not blaming my environment. I am taking full responsibility. I'm not shifting the blame. I am absolutely taking full blame for my sin. You see the difference? He's not deflecting. He's not comparing. He's not blaming anyone else. He's taking full responsibility. He is the sinner not the people around him. And the Pharisee was looking at the people around him and saying, they're the sinners, not me. And the man was saying, no, I don't know anything about them, but I know about me, the sinner. Do you see the difference? It's a huge difference when you go to God. It's a huge difference. Because Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, and one man left forgiven. You see, the Pharisee was looking around himself. The tax collector was looking within himself. There's a huge difference. That's the difference between religion and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So important. We need to address our sin, but we also need to see why we sin. What was What's behind our sin? Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes we sin and we say, Lord, I'm sorry that I did this. Have you ever asked the question, why did I do that? Why did I sin? Why did I behave the way I do? Why, what is within me that causes me to act the way I do? And the answer is this. Here it is. And it began in Genesis chapter 3. I want to rule my own life. I want to be God in my life. That's really what it comes down to. The man came to understand his rebellion against God. He threw himself on the mercy of God. And he asked God to be merciful to him, the sinner. Because he is the sinner. Now what does it mean? Because he uses the phrase, God be merciful to me. What does that word merciful mean? Merciful means to atone for my sin. And we think of the Old Testament and we remember the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle was a tent. And in the middle of the camp, all the camps, all the tribes were around the tabernacle facing towards the tabernacle while the the nation of Israel was going through the wilderness. Then they came into the promised land and they built the temple. And in the the midst of the temple, there was one place, they called it the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant uh, was... uh, had a a lid, and the lid was called the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would come in 
to the Holy of Holies. And he would have blood from a perfect, uh, unspotted lamb. And he would pour the blood on the mercy seat. Within the mercy seat, in the, in, in the, in the mercy seat, or excuse me, in the, the Ark of the Covenant, in the box, there was the law. The law was in there. And, and basically what it was was to cover the sins of the people because the sins had violated the law. And so the, the innocent died so that the, the blood would cover their sin and fulfill the law. And so the, he would do that once a year. Once a year, the high priest would kill an innocent, perfect lamb and, co- and covered uh, the mercy seat with the blood of the lamb for the sin of the people and fulfill the requirements of the law. Now, the Greek term uh, rendered merciful, in the word be, have mercy on me, that Greek term. It, so this gets a little tricky. So in the Old Testament, uh, the... Uh, the Hebrew is the, the language of the Old Testament. Greek, Koine Greek was in the New Testament. So Hebrew and Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew. And so they translated the Hebrew text to Greek. They call that the Septuagint. Okay? So many times when the New Testament writers are quoting the Old Testament, they're quoting the Greek, the Septuagint. Okay? So the Greek word that was used to translate that word, be merciful, is... One that you've heard before. So the Hebrew word is, is kippur. Kippur is the Hebrew word, right? And they use the Greek word that was used where the man says be merciful. So kippur means atone, right? And we know that word, you've heard the phrase yom kippur. Yom is the word for, Hebrew word for day. Day of atonement. Day of Atonement. That's what Yom Kippur means. Day of Atonement. It's done once a year by the high priest. And what the man is asking for is he's asking for Kippur. Lord, have Kippur on me. Have mercy on me. The the, the man is, is not saying overlook my sins. He's asking God to make an atonement for his, sin, his sins. He's throwing himself at the mercy seat of God. That's what he's doing when he goes to the temple. And Jesus tell us, tells us that two men went to the temple to pray, and only one, the tax collector, found forgiveness, found mercy, and was justified, and was approved by God. Now, here's the application for us. Jesus became the atonement for our sins. You know, Scripture says in the New Testament, He who knew no sin, He was a perfect Lamb. John called Him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us. His blood was poured out. Not just to cover sin, but to pay for our sin. And here's, here's the thing I want you to see. Your ultimate approval can only be found in Jesus. That's what Billy Graham preached. Every crusade, he asked people to come forward and give their lives to Jesus Christ so that they could find forgiveness for their sins. Every time. Jesus loved you so much that he made atonement for you by dying on the cross in your place. You're now, you're now accepted. And only he can give you the approval that you desperately need. You could never live a good enough life. And that's what many people are trying to do today. They're trying to live a good enough life that one day God will accept them. 
They're looking at others and saying, I'm better than them. I'm doing better than them. I'm following the rules. I'm doing all these things. And one day they'll stand before God and say, you owe me. Look at what I did for you. But those that will be accepted in will just say, I don't deserve it. I could never earn it. But I called upon the Lamb of God. Have mercy on me. What did the criminal say next to Jesus? Remember me, right? Jesus said, today you'll be with me. So the question I want to ask you as we close is this. Do you know him? Or are you still trying to be good enough? Are you still trying to say, one day I'm going to be, be there. I'm, I'm, still, I'm, going to, I'm going to work really hard. Don't do that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, let me read these verses. We'll close with this. The writer of Hebrews says, he did not enter, talking about Jesus entering. See, Jesus entered the, the, the holy of holies, as it were, on the cross. And he, he, he didn't sprinkle the blood of a lamb. He, he poured his blood. He did not enter, the, enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining the eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. The writer of Hebrews basically says, the Lamb of God has come, his name is Jesus, and on the cross he paid the price for our sins. And when he offered those last words, it is finished, the the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the holy place tore from heaven to earth meaning that we now have access to God. We have the approval of God, not because we have done anything to earn it or deserve it, but because we have been granted that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The approval that you desperately need and we all long for, we hunger for, we can look for it in people where we're going to be disappointed. But when we call upon the name of the Lord and we look to Jesus and we look to our Father in heaven, we find that approval that has been granted to us at a very high cost. And so, I hope that as we gather together today, that you'll say, I've got to stop trying to save myself. I've got to try, stop trying to live that good enough life. I've got to realize that, that, that no matter what I try to do, I can never do enough. And I have to throw myself, just like the man who went to the temple to pray that day, he threw himself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, two men went to the temple to pray that day. But only one person found mercy. Only one person found atonement. Only one person found forgiveness. And he walked out forgiven. And I pray that if you've never done that, you'll call upon the name of the Lord tonight, this weekend, and you'll find the forgiveness that only Jesus can give you. So stand with me as we pray. And Father, it may be that somebody's here this weekend and they've never prayed to call, they've never called upon the Lord. They don't even know how to do it. 
And it's pretty simple. Uh, what was the man's prayer? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's as simple as that. So, Father, maybe these words reflect their hearts and in their own hearts and minds, they can think about them and repeat them. Dear Father, I realize I am a sinner. There's no one to blame for my sin but me. I desperately need a Savior. And I realize you are that Savior, that Lamb of God, that perfect Lamb of God who gave your life on a cross over 2,000 years ago. Shed your blood and paid the price for my sin. I didn't deserve it. I could never earn it. And I realize that unless you save me, I'm dead. I call upon you right now to come into my life. As you gave your life to me, I give my life to you. To walk with you, to follow you, to be with you. And Father, if anybody's prayed that prayer, I pray that they would let somebody know, maybe talk to me or someone else and say, hey, I prayed to receive Jesus tonight. For the rest of us, Father, help us to bask in our acceptance and remember the incredible price that was paid for it. It was undeserved, unearned, but granted to us by our Father and by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.